This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Pastor Byron, despite the striking resemblance, my name is Barry Leathers. I am part of the team here, but Merry Christmas week to you. Um, I hope you've gotten all of your shopping done, but, but if not, man, I, I do have one prayer for you. I really hope you do not have to go to the Waterford Lakes Town Center in the next few days. It was December 23rd, 2011, and I had forgotten a few things for the stocking, and so I took two of my kids, ages four and seven, to Waterford. That day still haunts me. Um, In fact, I think it's right and appropriate that if you do have to make that trip, can I just pray for you real quick? Let's pray. Lord, Please forgive them for this tragic mistake. Lord, they don't know what they've done. Lord, I I pray for the the coming frustrations of of dealing with with a parking lot that was designed by an absolute psychopath. (laughs) Lord, with all the the weird and awkward angles that they're going to have to navigate. And Lord, there are more blind spots in that parking lot than I thought humanly possible. But, But Lord, I also pray for restraint for the the four-letter words that they're going to they're gonna want to utter. No, 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 they're going to want to scream at the drivers that have no idea how to navigate a four-way stop. Lord, I pray, I pray for patience. And finally, Lord, I ask that if they do not have a playlist on Spotify that is full of uplifting worship music, that they would create that playlist and that it would be at least an hour long so they could find a parking spot. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Yes. Hey, listen, <laughs> the wounds run deep. Like, I'm, I'm seeking some counseling, but I'm, I'm going to be okay. Hey, um, we are going to pick up right where Pastor Byron left off last week. We have been in this series called Unwrapped, and we're looking at these things that, that God has laid right at our feet, and all we need to do is unwrap them. And in this story, man, and, and oh, let me say this. Pastor Byron, for those of you that don't know, he had to travel to Texas this week. His mother passed away about 10 days ago, and so they had the Celebration of Life service. And for those of you that have been praying for and supporting his family, he wanted to make sure that we said thank you. On behalf of he and Miss Angie, the entire family, they have felt those prayers. He is definitely going to be back December 23rd for our Christmas services. You heard Rachel talk about that. Again, we've got limited space. That first service is almost completely full. So if you want to attend, please make sure you register, get that free ticket, and it is going to be an amazing celebration. But we started this series a few weeks ago, and and last week, he looked at disappointment. And it was one of the best messages I've ever heard on disappointment, because that can be an emotional thing in our life. And he talked about how God can use it in a very profound and positive way. And we looked at the life of Joseph. And, And just step into his shoes for a second. He had his entire life in front of him. He was about to marry the girl of his dreams. Everything looked great. And then Mary, his fiancée, comes to him and says, Joseph, I'm pregnant. Now, Joseph knew that only happens one way, and they hadn't slept together yet. But Mary immediately tells him, don't worry, Joseph, it wasn't another man. It was God. Now, Joseph was human, so you can imagine what his reaction must have been. And we don't have a lot of detail in Scripture about what he was thinking, how he was processing, but that had to be one of the most disappointing moments of his life. 
But the Bible does say that he was an honorable man, and so he decided that he was going to divorce Mary quietly. And that's where I want to pick up the story this morning. If you will stand with me, one of the things we do at C3, in honor of reading God's word, we stand together. Listen, God's word, the Bible tells us it is God-breathed. It is wholly inspired. And even though it was written by over 40 authors, and even though it spans over 1,500 years, every single word is useful for our life. And so let's read together Matthew 1, starting in verse 20. But after he had considered this, so again, this is after he had considered divorcing his wife. And remember what we talked about last week, man has plans, but it's God's purposes that prevail. After he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I don't know that there's a better summary of the Christmas season than God with us. I don't know what you are facing this morning. I don't know what you have going on in your life, but here's what I do know. God is with you. He is for you. He will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. Will you pray with me? Lord, we are so grateful for what you did over 2,000 years ago. Lord, you changed human history in that one moment. But Father, as we gather here this morning, whatever is distracting us, I pray that we lay it at your feet and we recognize that you were still in the business of changing lives. And so, Father, whatever you would have for us to hear, we pray that you would open our ears, do a work in our life this morning. It is in your name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Listen, I don't know if there's anything more challenging in life than having to wait. Now, some of you, it just was literally five seconds for me to say that word, and I could tell you were visibly uncomfortable. You're like, the substitute pastor already forgot what he was going to say? Like, what are we in for this morning? None of us like waiting, right? Like, none of us choose the longest line in Publix or Target just because we want to wait a little bit longer. Notice I didn't use Walmart because it doesn't matter what line you choose. Like, you're going to wait. None of us choose to drive five or ten miles an hour under the speed limit just so our trip takes a little bit longer. None of us is a practice choose to wait. But I would venture to say that everyone in this room this morning, everyone watching online, there's probably something you're waiting on. Despite all of our efforts in our economy to remove waiting from our lives, like we can get packages in a few hours, we can get groceries delivered, we, we have an economy built on trying to remove the waiting from our lives, but we still find ourselves waiting. It's part of our human condition. Maybe many of you are waiting on something with your health, Maybe you've been asking, begging God for a miracle or for healing, and it just hasn't happened yet. For some of you, maybe you're waiting on the salvation of a friend or a family member. You've been praying that they would, they would have a relationship with Jesus and understand who he is like you do, that he brings freedom from their sins, and he wants to give them an abundant life and, and give them an eternal relationship, but they haven't made the decision yet. Maybe some of you are waiting on a job or a raise, or a promotion. You just want to better provide for your family, and you've been begging God to do something in your life to make that happen. 
and you're still waiting. Some of you are single, and you've been waiting on a spouse, and a few years ago, you had a long list of traits and characteristics that you were looking for in that spouse, and it's been long enough now that that list is down to two. You just hope, you just hope they're a Christian and that they got a job. And, and let's be honest, you really don't care about that second one. As long as they're a Christian, we're, we're good to go. Maybe you're waiting on a spouse, or maybe in your marriage, you're waiting on healing. You've been asking God to do a work in your marriage. You feel a distance there, and it just doesn't seem like God is working. Waiting is part of the human condition, and it's not just us. If we look at some of the primary characters in the scriptures, central to their story is waiting. Well, think about Moses, right? Moses actually killed somebody and then had to go to Midian for 40 years. 40 years he waited before God called him back to lead the people out of Egypt. And then he leads the people out of Egypt, and he has to wait another 40 years. They wander around in the wilderness, and he doesn't even get to see the promised land. Moses has a life of waiting. And then there's Abraham. Abraham was promised to be the father of many nations, and his wife was barren. And Sarah and Abraham did not have a child until she was 90 years old, but God fulfilled his promise, but it was a life of waiting. And then think about the New Testament. Think about everybody who encountered Jesus and was healed by Jesus, how, how much they must have begged and pleaded for God to do a work in their life, to, to restore their sight or to make them walk again or to heal their leprosy, whatever it was. They waited 20, 30, sometimes 40 years, and God finally showed up, but there was a time of waiting. What in the world do we do in the waiting? We serve a God who is always at work in the waiting. In the story of Christmas, right, what we're talking about this morning, there is nothing more central to that story than waiting. God promised thousands of years ago that he was going to send a Savior, that the rules and laws in the Old Testament weren't there to show us that, hey, we had to follow every rule. They were there to show us that we couldn't follow the rules, and the only way that we could have this relationship with a perfect and holy God was for him to intervene on our behalf and to send a Savior. And listen, we have to go all the way back to the beginning to see that he promised that from the very beginning. And if you'll just humor me for a second, let's go back to Genesis 1. You know the story. God created the heavens and the earth, and then he created some plants. He created some animals, and then he created Adam. But then he said, oh, man, it's just not quite complete enough. There's something a little bit off. There's something else needed. So he puts Adam to sleep, he performs the first surgery, takes the rib from Adam, and he creates Eve. He creates the first woman. And Adam wakes up to the gift of Eve. What a gift. Husbands, this is where you should be nodding your head. Yes, amen, the gift of woman. But then he's, he's got this garden, and he says, listen, the, the garden is yours. Explore, do whatever you want. The possibilities are limitless. And listen, so many of us, if we're new to Christianity or maybe we've been put off by, by the Christian story, we think that it's a life of rules and regulations and morals that we've got to follow. Nothing could be further from the truth. Even in the beginning, God created a world to explore. And there was only one rule, just one rule. Just don't eat of this tree because God knew what it would do. It would steal their innocence. It would steal their joy. It would steal their ability to experience all that he had created for them. But we know how the story ends, right? They got deceived by the serpent. Satan enters the story. And from that moment, his reign of terror began on the earth. 
We see it all the time. But there's this little verse in Genesis 3, and you'd miss it if you're going too fast, where God says this, the seed of a woman will crush the serpent's head. Now, most biblical scholars believe that is the very first prophecy, the very first promise that we have that God is going to send someone to take care of this. You can't do it on your own, but I have got a plan. The seed of a woman will crush the serpent's head. So that was thousands of years ago. Then we fast forward a little bit to Isaiah. He's one of the most famous prophets in all the Old Testament. And in 700 BC, listen to what he says, Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now that should sound familiar. That's exactly what we read in Matthew. This is the verse Matthew was quoting. But 700 years before that, Isaiah said, this is coming. And how specific that prophecy was. Born of a virgin, what his name was going to be, Emmanuel. What is God doing in the waiting? They waited thousands of years and they got another reminder and they waited 700 more years. Is God just messing with us? Is, is God trying to show off in some way? Is, is God trying to teach us something? What is God doing in the waiting? Well, then we get to the end of the Old Testament. 300 years later, Malachi is the last prophet, and that's about 400 B.C., and then we don't hear another thing for 400 years. 400 years, there's silence. And how many of you have been there? Like you're praying for God to do something in your marriage, in your finances, in your job. You, you desperately want God to move in some way. And it's one thing if you're getting feedback from God, right? It's one thing if you, if you know he's working in some way, but it's a whole other thing when it seems like God is silent. But man, I'm here to remind us this morning that just because God is silent does not mean he's not active. Just because God is silent does not mean he's absent. And if you're taking notes this morning, man, write this down, because while we are waiting, God is working. While we are waiting, God is working. Did you know he never takes a break from your life? Not one millisecond of your life is he not using for his glory and for his purposes in your life. God is always working. He is for you. He has got a plan and purpose for your life. God is always working even though we might be waiting. But before we get into the art of waiting, it's really important that we understand something about God's timing. So let's jump over to the New Testament. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church at Galatia, and he wants them to understand God's timing when it comes to the birth of the Savior. And he says this in Galatians 4, starting in verse 4, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Notice what he says there. But when the set time had fully come. Did you know, anytime God does something big in history, big in humanity, anytime he does something big in your life, that that time is set. That time is scheduled. God knew from the beginning of time exactly when and where you needed it. The time is scheduled. But he doesn't stop there. He says the set time had fully come. 
what that means is not only is it scheduled, that timing is absolutely perfect in your life. Not only does God set the time, he knows the exact right time that you need it. Look at how some of the other translations say this phrase. The CEV, it says, but when the time was right. God always moves when the time is right. The ESV says, when the fullness of time has come. When everything is in place, God is going to move at the exact right time in your life. God's timing is always perfect. Paul goes on and says, at, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. There's that phrase again. Do you remember we heard that in Genesis 3? The seed of a woman would crush the serpent's head. Did you know those are the only times in all of Scripture that when it's talking about biology or genealogy or, you know, someone being born, that it says born of a woman or seed of a woman? Every other time it says born of a man or seed of a man. Only with Jesus does it say born of a woman. Now, why? Why would Paul make that distinction? He explains it in those next few phrases. Born of a woman, born under the law. See, the only way Jesus could save us is he had to be human. He had to be born under the law. And as you know, every single human that exists is born of a woman. So Jesus met that criteria. He was born of a woman. But he couldn't be born of a man, right? Because that would allow the sin nature. So he had to be born of a woman, but he also, he also had to be 100% God. And so he had to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. He had to be conceived by God. So what Paul is telling us is at the set time, at the perfect time, God sent the only person that ever existed in human history that was now eligible to pay the penalty for our sins, that was now in place as 100% human, born under the law, and he met every single requirement of the law, but now he could redeem us from the law. When the set time had fully come, God did exactly what we needed at the right time. Jesus didn't come a day early, and he did not come a day late. Now, I'm, I'm fascinated by the translation in Greek for this little phrase, the set time had fully come. And what it means is the set time was fully pregnant. Now, that's kind of an odd way to say that. But you ladies who have had a baby, you know exactly what Paul was talking about, don't you? Right? When... When that baby is ready, the time has come, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. Uh, I remember with um, Amanda's pregnancy with Ansley, it's our second child. Um, she was in labor, we were at the hospital, but things had kind of slowed down a little bit, and it was about lunchtime. And so the nurses said, hey, now's a good time for you to go grab lunch. Like, I think things have settled in. I was like, sure, I'll go down to the cafeteria, grab a bite. It wasn't five minutes later that my cell phone is ringing off the hook. They are sending people down to find me. Because guess what? The time had come. Ansley was ready to come. She was ready to be born. And there was nothing the nurses could do, nothing the doctors could do to stop that baby from coming. And thankfully, I got there right in the nick of time and could see the birth of my second daughter. Hey, listen, there is nothing anybody can do. There is nothing a politician can do. There is nothing our government do. There is nothing Satan can do to stop God's perfect timing in your life. He is going to work when he is ready to work, and it is going to be the perfect time. 
So back to waiting. You know, it's, it's so easy once we're on the other side of the waiting to kind of look back in hindsight and see how God was working, isn't it? Like we can look back after we get through the period of waiting and be like, oh yeah, now I see what God was doing there. Like how many of you are so thankful as you look back that she broke up with you? Aren't you grateful that happened now that you've got the benefit of hindsight? Or aren't you grateful that you didn't take that job? Or you didn't buy that house? Or you didn't move to that city? Whatever it might be, once we're past the waiting, we can always look back and see the hand of God moving in our lives. What about this period? Remember, they've been waiting thousands of years for this Savior. They've read about it in Genesis. They've read about it throughout the prophets. God, when, when are you going to come? When are you going to bring the Savior? Well, then they get to this period where God is silent for 400 years, and we have no record in Scripture of what he was doing, no direct communication through a prophet, no direct communication to his people. But it doesn't mean God wasn't working. So if you will humor me for just a second, we're going to do a quick history lesson. I know all of you love history. I promise this is only going to take a few minutes. But I want to look at what was happening in those 400 years, because while the Bible doesn't detail it, we still have accurate records from history that tell us exactly what was going on. The first thing was Alexander the Great. Now listen, if you have great added to your name, like that's kind of a big deal. I know we've got arguments right now about who the GOAT is when it comes to basketball. Is it LeBron James? Is it Michael Jordan? We have arguments about who the greatest is when it comes to football. Is it Tom Brady or is it that's pretty much Tom Brady. But we, we, we have these arguments. And listen, all they can do is they can dribble a basketball, they can shoot a basketball, they can throw a football, whatever it is, they, yeah, they're great. But Alexander the Great got great added to his name for this reason. In 14 years, he conquered the entire known world. So for the first time, the entire world was under Greek rule, which meant for the first time that everybody in the known world pretty much had a working knowledge of the Greek language, which leads us to our second point. During that time, the Old Testament was translated into Greek. Prior to this 400-year period, the Old Testament was in Hebrew. It was written for God's people, and so a small percentage of the world could only understand the story of God, could read about what God was doing, could read about the prophecies. But now, the entire world could read it. The third thing was the Socratic method was introduced. This is one of the things the Greeks gave us when it came to education. Prior to this, everyone thought truth was like, you know, with these old wise men and they would just pass it on to the next generation. But the Greeks knew that truth could be found using other methods. And so they encouraged conversation. They encouraged dialogue. They encouraged asking questions. So for the first time, people could actually ask questions. They were encouraged to do so about what they were reading. Fourth thing, then in 63 BC, the Romans conquered the Greeks. So now the Romans are ruling the world. And history tells us that that period in time, there was unprecedented peace. So the Romans didn't have to worry about fighting wars. They didn't have to worry about, you know, guarding their borders. So instead, they used their energy to create the most elaborate transportation system ever known to man. They built all these highways and roads and trails to connect the different cities, to connect the different territories. And for the first time, you could get goods and services almost anywhere in the world. But not only goods and services, you could also get news. You could also get messages. You could also get information. 
And that leads us to the fifth thing. And it's something called the diaspora. And that's just a crazy name for this period in time where the Jews were forbidden from living in Jerusalem. And so they ended up getting scattered all throughout the Roman Empire. So let's review real quick. In those 400 years, what was God doing? Everybody can now speak the same language. Now everyone had access to the story of God and the prophecies of God. Now everybody was encouraged to ask questions about what they were reading. And now for the first time, news could spread like it had never spread before. And for the first time in human history, the Jews were strategically placed around the world at the set time. When the time had fully come, God sent his son. We can always look back in hindsight and see the hand of God. I don't know what you're facing this morning. I don't know what it is you're waiting on, but here's what I can guarantee you. God is building roads. He is building highways. He is working out details and circumstances so he can move in your life at the set time. What do we do in the waiting? Hey, listen, it's, it's easy to have the benefit of hindsight, but what about the right now? What if you are right now waiting on God to move in your life and you just feel like he's silent? You feel like he's absent. You don't have the benefit of hindsight. You know and trust and have faith that he's doing something, but you just can't see it. What encouragement would he give to us this morning? Well, it's this. God's delay is not always a denial. God's delay is not always a denial. Just because you don't have the answer yet doesn't mean he's denying your request. So, so what do we need to do? What do we need to be aware of when it comes to our waiting? There's two things I would encourage us with. Number one, maybe it's not ready. Well, whatever it is in your life, right? Your, your marriage, your, your finances, whatever it is that you're waiting on, it's not ready. Now, I, I'm no chef, and that's going to be painfully obvious in this next example, but we, we just got through with Thanksgiving, right? And we have a ton of leftovers. If your family is like ours, you eat on them for days. But have you ever heated up like a plate of mashed potatoes, and you take it out of the microwave, and those first few bites, are they are piping hot, so satisfying. And then you take a bite out of the middle, and it is ice cold. Like, you didn't leave it in the microwave long enough, and, man, that is a bad day. I speak from experience. You never want to get the cold middle. Or, or maybe, you're, maybe you're baking a cake, and it is golden yellow on the outside. Everything looks great, and you cut into it, and that batter is still, like, runny and gooey. Like, you didn't leave it in the oven long enough. Or maybe you're grilling chicken, and you got those beautiful grill marks, and you're ready to serve it up, and you cut into it, and your chicken is, like, a nice medium rare. Like, that's good for steak, but that's not good for chicken. So, listen, we, we all know what it's like for something not to be ready. God does not want to serve you a cold dish. God wants to serve you the perfect dish at the perfect time. Maybe, maybe it's not ready in your life. But maybe you're not ready. Maybe we're not ready. You know what I found in my life? that God often wants to do something in me before he does something for me. Well, let me say that again. Sometimes God wants to do something in us before he does something for us because he knows, he knows if we get that blessing, that gift, that miracle, if we get it too early and we're not ready, it could ruin us. And so sometimes God wants to do something in us. Sometimes we're not ready. 
So I ask you this morning, do you need to take an inventory? Is there a perspective that needs to shift? Is there an attitude that needs to change? Is there a sin that God is wanting to chip away from your life so you can be ready for what it is he has for you? And I close with this this morning. Do not waste the waiting. Listen, God encourages us and wants us to make sure that we beg and plead with him to work in a way that we can see him at work in our lives, right? It is right and appropriate to do that. God God wants us. Throughout scripture, you see people pleading with God, begging with God to move on their behalf, and, and God wants you to do that. But while you're doing that, I think it's imperative to us that we also ask God, what is it that you want to do in me? While you're waiting, make sure you're asking those questions. And here's what I would encourage you to do. Be in God's word. That is the primary way God speaks to us is through his inspired word. Be reading his word. The Bible tells us that it's like a a two-edged sword. As much as you're reading it, it is reading you, and it's got the power to change your life. Be in God's word. Don't waste the waiting. Let him do something in you so he can prepare you for what he has for you. And the second thing I'd encourage you to do, surround yourself with people who love Jesus, people that will encourage you. Take an inventory of your friendships, the people that influence you. Are they people that love you, that have your back? Are they people that love Jesus and give you sound wisdom? Are they people that are going to tell you the truth when you need to hear the truth? We all need people like that in our lives to help form in us what God is doing, to remind us of the path we need to be on. So yes, we are going to experience seasons of waiting. But God is not absent, even though he is silent. God is always working in our waiting, and there is something he wants to do in you so you can be ready for what he has for you. I want to close with this verse from Isaiah, and I I think it's one of the most powerful verses in, in all the Bible. And it says this, and I think it sums up exactly what we've talked about this morning. Isaiah 64, 4. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. God acts on behalf of those who wait for him. My youngest son, Jackson, he's in ninth grade, freshman in high school, and he's taking this class this year called Human Geography. And they just finished this section on the world religions. And so we had a conversation the other night at dinner, and the topic came up, like, what, what is the distinction? What is the difference between Christianity and every other world religion? Like, is there a difference? Are they all kind of the same? But there is. There is a distinct difference between Christianity and every other system of religion in the world. And it's summed up in this verse. Every other religion requires humans to act so the God or deity notices them. It requires humans to act to make themselves right before the God. It requires the humans to act to get the attention of the deity. They've got to do something. Christianity is the exact opposite. God is the one who does the work. God is the one who is working in your life. God is the one who pursued you. God is the one who sent his son to make a way for you to have an eternal relationship with him. God is the one who
who raised him from the dead on the third day so you can have an eternal life with him. God is the one who does the working. And that is what distinguishes Christianity from every other world religion. That is what makes being a follower of Jesus so special, that God does the work. All we have to do is wait and watch him work. We've titled this series, Unwrapped. And we've talked about the one thing that Jesus is laying at our feet and wants us to unwrap. I wonder this morning if there's anyone in here that's never made that decision to follow Christ, that's never accepted the gift of that forgiveness that he offers through his son, Jesus. Maybe today the gift you need to unwrap is Jesus. Jesus.